This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, where earnings is the season, but don't let that be the reason to lose that long-term attitude and sell on the back of CEO's platitudes. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Uh, I think we're going to have a full rap verse by the end of the year. <laughs> it's getting too long, isn't it? <laughs> no, nah, no such thing as too long. Oh, I'm liking it. I think it's, uh, it's always, there's always a nice surprise at the front of the episode for me. <laughs> well, that one, as, as you can tell, Ren, that was all about earnings season, and that's what we're going to focus on today in our episode uh, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you've, uh, you've set the bar high now that you're doing thematic intros, the last two episodes they've related to the episode, so that's that's added another layer of challenge for you. That's true. I'm digging myself a hole. I, I really need to revert back to the old school way of doing things. Far too much time and energy is going into thinking about these things. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Keep it going. Keep it going. So, uh, big win for Essendon last night, which is good. We've now hopefully locked ourselves into the finals. Swans also had a good win on the weekend, so yeah. it's been a positive, positive weekend for us. Lock us in for the uh, 2020 finals. Yep, lock you in. You guys, uh, I don't know if the win would have helped your uh, idea of getting a good draft pick this year, but nonetheless, they got, they got the job done. That's all right. We'll be right. Youngest team in the league at the moment. Really? Yeah. No, no one picks it, but yeah, we're, we're rebuilding on the fly. <laughs> a long while. anyway Ren so reporting season I guess uh, it's an exciting time of the year for many investors as we alluded to in the intro there sometimes investors use this as a part of their strategy to try and I guess pick stocks that are either going to underperform against analyst estimates or outperform against analyst estimates and try to make use of the gains or losses that follow that but Ren, for you and I, uh, it's a, merely an opportunity for us to check in with some of the companies that we've been following. And I guess we don't really 
use it as a as a time to buy and sell off the back of the re- the reports that are coming out. We know it's often an emotional time for many investors, and and the reactions that come as a result of some of the reporting can can be overinflated. So. We're going to, I guess, choose a couple of stocks that have piqued our interest over the last couple of weeks on the ASX. Maybe we'll touch on some in the US as well and just get uh, a bit of an insight into how they reported and uh, we'll go from there. What are your thoughts? And I think it's worth just clarifying, earnings season is in Australia at this time, most companies full year reports because they run a financial year, you know, July to June. And then for some companies that run calendar years, they still report at this time, but it's only their half-year earnings. But in Australia, most companies, we get annual reports in this period, in the August and September period, and then we get half-year February and March. Nice, yeah. So do you want to kick it off, Ren? Yeah, so I um, I thought we'd start with our stock of the year bets. Uh, you nice. are absolutely smoking me for the second year in a row in this it's <laughs> it's uh it's not good for me but my my pick costa group haven't reported yet they report on the 23rd of august so i guess i'm spared some pain in that respect your company baby bunting has reported and i don't think you've seen it yet is that right no no okay so i get to break the news for you awesome company uh halved in value on the back of a $200 million loss. What? No, I'm, I'm oh, kidding. I was going to say, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Company was actually up 13% post-announcement. Key highlights, revenue up 21%. Same store sales, comp sales up 8.7%. Net profit up 43%. And the dividend they're paying up 59%. So... um. Some really good numbers, especially yeah. for a bricks and mortar retailer there. No, that's great. And somewhat expected, I guess, knowing the opportunity they have to really monopolize their their niche in, in the market. So good to see that they're putting that opportunity to good use. Yeah, a couple Go of baby bunting. A couple of things surprised me. So how many stores do you reckon baby bunting has? I should know this considering it's my stock of the year, <laughs> but I'm going to say I reckon they've got about 50. Yeah, they've got 53. I guess that makes sense, but I, I just thought they would be bigger than that given they're, you know, the only – well, they, they were the biggest baby specialty baby re- retailer and now they're the only one left standing really. But, yeah, 53 stores. And when we talk about all their competitors that have closed down, it's 70 competitor shops have closed. So, I mean, I guess we come from – a world of retail where we're talking hundreds or thousands of sites rather than tens. tens so just yeah. that surprised me. And I guess the question is, are they pushing for more brick and mortar? My understanding was that they were looking to push their online side of things more. So perhaps it's not as important for them. Yeah. Well, I think every, every retailer these days has to say that in their, in the annual report. True. I, mean, I imagine, I think I read uh, their online sales penetration was up to 11%. So 11% of their sales were coming from online. The problem for retailers, and this is a, this is a whole separate episode, is that how many of the sales they're making online are actually profitable and how, many, yeah. how much of them are just to try and protect market share and they're losing money on it. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, go baby bunting. Looking forward to seeing how it starts the, uh, the start of this financial year. I think going into Christmas should hopefully be good for them. 
And I'm looking forward to Costa Ren. So that was your pick of the year for uh, our, our challenge. And I know recently they did release a profit warning, didn't they? Yeah, that's it. We don't have and to dwell on this one too that, much. So. <laughs> <laughs> See what comes of them. So when is it next week? Uh, 23rd of August, yeah. Nice. So do you want to hit us with one a company that you've been looking at? Yeah, sure. This, this one should be well known to most Australian investors. It's an absolute champion of the Australian stock market, and that is CSL Ren. Nothing exciting about this company, but when I saw its results and its stock price movement and its current stock price, I thought it was worth just quickly giving it a shout out because I remember back a few, only a few years ago, the race to the $100 Mark was between CSL and Macquarie Bank and, you know, CBA was sort of getting there at some point in time and and CSL hit 100 as did Macquarie. But uh, now CSL shares are at an all-time high of $235.66 and that's on the back of their results. They're up 25% this year, Ren. So this company just keeps on performing. They're a biotech company and they reported an 11% rise in net profit after tax to just shy of $2 billion. Uh, But when you take into consideration the impact on exchange rates, if you bring that back to Australia, that's actually an increase of 17%. So they're really growing. It's on the back of growth in their their plasma business, doing really well for them. They're a global company all, all through Europe and North America, providing a lot of I guess, biotech products. So they just keep on pumping out. They expect growth to continue as well. So yeah, massive company. An unbelievable Australian success story and probably the best example of government privatisation leading to Mm. world-class private company. Yeah, it's nuts. So that's for the big one. I might just continue with the Australian theme, Ren. Yeah, go for it. The other one that really surprised me and I guess surprised the market as well was JB Hi-Fi. Now we know that the retail sector at the moment, very competitive. Also, you know, economy generally speaking is slowing down somewhat. So it's these sorts of businesses that tend to suffer a little when it comes to that sort of discretionary spend from consumers. However, JB Hi-Fi just continues to perform well. They reported record sales and earnings for the end of this year, 2019. Sales lifted 3.5% to $7.1 billion, which did meet analyst expectations, Ren. And we know that that is a, a positive thing when it comes to earnings announcements. If you don't meet analyst expectations, then your share price can generally suffer. But because of that, their share price actually jumped 8% following the announcement. So they've performed really well. The good guys who are owned by JB Hi-Fi contributed 30% of total sales over that period, up 2.5%. So an interesting little fact there. I think from an outlook point of view, JB Hi-Fi anticipate that roughly to a 7.5 billion or um, 2.7, oh, sorry, 2% higher over FY19. So sales look to be on a strong trajectory. I guess watch this space given the state of the economy. So they've performed well. Yeah. You say, you say it's surprising and you're not alone in saying that. JB Hi-Fi is one of the highest shorted stocks in Australia. I, I'm actually just, just not that surprised. Every, everyone thinks that – everyone's thesis is that retail suffering and JB Hi-Fi are ripe for disruption from Amazon because what they sell is CDs and DVDs and stuff like that. But – 
JB Hi-Fi continually outperforms expectations and they're not the, you know, the cheap CD retailer anymore. They sell a lot of sort of high-touch electronics, you know, your TVs, your phones and stuff like that. But they're just an exceptionally well-run business. And I think what we've learned in this retail environment is that the retailers that survive are ones with good management. Retail itself isn't destined to fail, but bad retailers are. It's very heavily shorted. And at some point, there are some structural disadvantages from being a bricks and mortar retailer that it will have to face into. But I wouldn't be shorted if I was one of those investors. It's a it's a really well-run business. Yeah, I agree. I think from what I was reading when the, the announcements came out, it was very much around the CEO and the management team and, ha- and how well they've done. From a personal point of view, I just never shop at JB Hi-Fi. I never even think to shop there. So I'm, I'm just sort of thinking yeah, who's shopping there. And, and like my, my, my first thought is always Amazon. I even go Kogan before I look at JB Hi-Fi online. Like I just never do it. So Yeah. So like I, I recently got a new phone and first place I went was JB Hi-Fi and didn't go anywhere else. And, you know, when I last bought a TV, it was JB Hi-Fi as well. Mm. I wouldn't. Oh, there you go. May, I'd maybe buy a TV off Kogan. I, like, I guess there's no reason you wouldn't buy it off Amazon, but there are some things that I think a majority of consumers still want to be in the store. They want to ask Touch the questions. Feel, yeah. They want to, you know, have the remote in their hand or have the phone in their hand or try the speakers out before they buy them. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you can sort of see them moving away from the the model that made them famous, which was heaps of CDs and DVDs sold really cheaply and into more sort of hardware and equipment. But yeah, I think as long as they just keep moving as the customer moves, I think they're, they're going to be all right. Nice. Well, we'll see how they perform at their uh, halfway point for FY20. So what have you got, Ren? So not to, uh, not to have a crack at your first two picks, yep. but I think there's, been, there's, there's a lot of coverage on some of the big names and CSL and JB Hi-Fi are probably amongst them. Other companies like Telstra and AMP, Blackmores, you hear a lot in the financial media, other financial podcasts, although you shouldn't be listening to any other financial podcasts. <laughs> so <laughs> I've gone for sort of big Australian companies still, but ones that have got less coverage. First one that I had a look at or that piqued my interest was News Corp, ASX code NWS. And the reason I found them interesting is just because of the massive disruption that the news business has undergone recently, and specifically print journalism has undergone recently. And News Corp has really suffered on the back of that. Although what we saw this year is they may be slightly turning it around. So revenue up 12% to $10 billion, and they returned to profitability this year after taking a loss in FY18. But what was particularly interesting was uh, their digital subscriptions, so people that are paying for online-only journalism, is rising in a meaningful way in terms of their overall profitability. And they're continuing to see a decline in print subscriptions and advertising and because of the soft property market they're seeing a weakness in realestate.com.au but large rises in digital subscriptions is 
something that I think is interesting and it's probably showing that people the world over are realizing that they have to pay for content and that's probably good for companies like News Corp, um, the Channel 9, Fairfax uh, merged company, New York Times and stuff like that. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Do you pay for any papers? Not at the moment. I did I did for the AFR for a while, but I stopped You can get around their firewall. No, that, that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> no, but what I mean is if you literally can just sort of copy-paste their headline into Google and sometimes you can get the articles. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. You can get oh, around okay. it that way. But if you go through their site, then I think you get a maximum. Yeah, right. I do think about paying for Financial Times or maybe Bloomberg. I subscribed to The Economist for a while, but I find that I try and, like, I have a, because we've got the internet, there's such a varied choice in content. I find it really hard to just stick to one, you know, like pay for Bloomberg or only read at Bloomberg or, you know, pay for AFR and only read AFR. So, I don't know, there's probably a business challenge in there for someone. The Netflix of news. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, $12 a month subscription and you can get access to... A hundred articles from each of the major news publications. Personalised for you. Yeah, well, it's just like Netflix, you know, the algorithm learns what you want to read. Because what if they were a hundred of rubbish? I disagree that Netflix learns what I want to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. And anything else you've been watching? And and don't don't feel like you have to do a small one. No no hard feelings if you go <laughs> a big end of town. Well, Ren, the tact I took was to have a look at a couple of the stocks that we've mentioned in the mastermind sessions with Julia Lee. So I picked out Breville and U Media to see how they reported because both of them had a two interesting strategies. So good news is that Breville we knew that they were on a task and, and strategy of expanding in into Europe, um, and that seems to be paying dividends, literally. Their revenue increased 17.5% to $760 million, and their dividend increased to 37 CPS as well. So really well done by Breville. They have seen really successful geographic expansion and they're spending a lot on R&D, which is giving them some good returns in in the space. So I'm pretty confident that that was a reasonable pick from us, Ren. Now, looking at U Media, though, 
I remember we were talking about their transition from traditional sort of billboard to that um, electronic space using data and that sort of stuff. But they haven't reported yet. They're going to be reporting next week. But what they have done, Ren, is come out and give uh, a market update because uh, I think their guidance to what they said a few months ago is, has now changed. And that is because they have seen a significant decline in overall media advertising spend in the second half of FY19. So they have said that in line with the challenging market conditions being experienced by the wider media market, Media advertising bookings for the third quarter of 2019 experienced a sharp decline compared to the bookings on hand at the same time last year. So traditionally, their sales are significantly weighted towards the second half of the year, which is concerning, and they're not going to be seeing that uh, in this second half. So I would imagine that their guidance for FY19 is now significantly less than it was Last time they updated the market, and I'm sure if it hasn't already been priced in, then when they do report, uh, we're going to see a bit of a, a drop for dear old Ooh Media. But I thought it was just interesting that less companies, according to them, are spending on advertising at the moment. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure what that says, but... Yeah, so it probably is a symptom of the broader economic pains. You know, we, we keep hearing about the global slowdown, and I guess... Outdoor advertising would be something that quickly falls away. You know, if companies are tightening their belts and not feeling confident in their in the sort of global and economic environment. So we'll watch out for them when they report next week. Share price movement to be confirmed. Breville, interestingly, is down 16% since reporting on the 15th of August. So despite their solid performance, I don't think it met market expectations. So they've been hurt a little bit. So that's sort of my Australian rap, Ren. Anything else on your list? Yeah, I've got three three Australian companies. Well, that that's it for okay. me. I, I didn't look overseas uh, yep. for this episode. So I'll do. You want me to just go through them, and then we'll uh, you yeah, can talk yeah, about anything right. overseas if you want. Yeah, sure. So for, first one, Ansel ASX code A N N, the rubber products manufacturer. The reason that I found them interesting is they're highly exposed to the trade war. So it was interesting to see how they went in F-19 and what their guidance was because it would have given a pretty strong indication on how this US-China trade war was affecting manufacturers. Ansel has operations in over 50 countries and a lot of its manufacturing was based out of China. So the F-19 results, sales up 0.6%, although if you control for currency, up about 3%, and the adjusted profitability was up about 3% as well. The interesting thing was, though, that so they spoke about the effect of the trade war, and they said it was really hurting, and they were actually moving a lot of their manufacturing out of China as a result. But what the CEO also said was that even without the trade war, they probably were going to move out of China anyway. Because Vietnam and Sri Lanka offer 20 to 30% lower manufacturing costs, which is a pretty significant percentage difference if you think about it. And so even without the trade war, if these companies were looking at moving to other Southeast Asian nations, I think that's going to be an interesting trend to watch that will probably get accelerated with the trade war because that Mm -hmm. cost differential will be more. You know, if it's 20 to 30% 
without the tariffs. And now they're trying to sell into America and they have to include the tariffs if they're manufacturing in China as well. It's even more. So interesting one just because you can really see the effects of the trade war changing companies' decisions. Yeah, it is interesting. Second one that I looked at, or third one, sorry, was the ASX. The ASX itself is listed on the ASX. Um, ASX code ASX, would you believe? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I am constantly fascinated by this company because really it's the closest thing to a monopoly in Australia. I mean, there's, I guess, like port operators and stuff are also monopolies, but you know, there, there are other, there's, a other, there's another stock exchange in Australia, but it's not really a competitor to the ASX. It markets itself to a different type of company, I guess. And you can see the benefits of being a monopoly in ASX, the ASX's results. So revenue increased 7.5% to $860 million, and profit increased 10% to $490 million. And if you just think about that for a second, so wow, what a profit margin! Yeah, that's that's where I'm going with this. So net profit of 490 million off revenue of 860 million means that their net margin is 57 percent. Wow, which is just crazy when you think about it. You know, for for context, retailers have mar- net margins in the three to ten percent range, and then you know a good company has sort of. 20% you'd be happy with, I guess, depending on the industry. But at 57% so, margin, that's that's absurd. It is absurd. It's an interesting business. What are some of the drivers for revenue? Do you think they would perform better in a bull market or bear market? Is it not correlated? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the, the, the short answer is they would perform better in a bull market. Um, so they... They make money on activity, and the main activity is new listings. So there's a whole bunch of listing fees that they collect, whether it's an IPO, whether it's a bond issue, whatever it is. And then they would also make money from ongoing activities. So to continue to be listed, every company would have to pay fees to the ASX, and I imagine there would be a whole bunch of companies and banks and stuff paying the ASX for data, and then potentially every trade that goes through the ASX may clip the ticket as well. So Yeah, right. But, you know, if you think about companies are more likely to do IPOs and to issue bonds when times are good, when the market's strong. So I think they do much better in bull markets. But in saying that, I mean, I just feel that that company that has such a strong moat in good times or in bad times no one you're not if you want to list in australia you're not really going to be listing anywhere else so no yeah, i think what's their other competitor the national the national stock, stock exchange the nsx in newcastle yeah <laughs> you, yeah it used to be the newcastle stock exchange not um not a lot of liquidity in that market you would say no no <laughs> um so look i was looking at the asx's annual report and uh, something piqued my interest, and so I've got a little quiz for you. Love it. Of the three major categories of assets managed by the ASX, bonds, equities, and futures, which do you think has the highest average value of settlements each day? Futures. Correct. Orders no. of magnitude higher, so $237 billion compared to $56 billion for bonds, 
and $4.6 billion for equities. Wow. Uh, and I think the futures number is probably a bit of a red herring because a lot of it would be options. And then yeah. if you're not exercising the options, they probably still count into that number, but they're not realized. Wow, there you go. But yeah, futures. Huge, huge, huge money. Yeah. Relative anyway. Yeah, relative to equities. So last one, and this one piqued my interest just because it's an interesting company that when you know about it, it makes a lot of sense that it exists, but it's probably surprising that it exists. Invocare, ASX code IVC. And what they, they are Australia's largest funeral provider. And they're a big company. There's a lot of money in death. They fell 8% post their announcement. And that was despite their profit nearly doubling. They increased their net profit by 97%. Um, and yet the share price fell 8%. And so I what, think with the analysts expecting a hundred percent, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a it's a lesson in uh, the importance of analyst expectations, but it's also an important lesson in the importance of guidance. So mm, mm. even though their profit increased ninety seven percent, a lot of that increase in profitability wasn't actually due to the performance of the business. Something that I found out while reading this report. A lot of people actually prepay for their funerals while they're still alive. Yeah. And similar to insurance companies having a float, this funeral company, Invocare, has all this money that has been prepaid for funerals that then they go and invest because, you know, otherwise it just sits as cash on their balance sheet. So the a lot of the profitability increase was actually driven by the really good performance of the securities that they had invested in. So they were investing really well. And the, the company actually, their revenue increased 7% in the year. So still not bad, but the 97% increase in profit was not driven by a massive increase in revenue. Interesting. But the, the company came out and said that the F-18 had a really weak flu season. And what they meant by that was not enough people died enough in winter of last die. year. <laughs> and the company is hoping that deaths essentially go back to the historical norm. But Gee. the I guess the guidance wasn't the guidance wasn't good enough to inspire a lot of confidence in the market because the, the business wasn't the thing that drove the profitability, rather it was the investments. And because the guidance wasn't particularly strong, the share price fell eight percent. My last thought when I was looking at this company was I would have loved to have asked Adam in our ethical investing episode yeah, yeah. what his thoughts were on Invocare and where they fell on their ethical, unethical spectrum. Because like on one hand, they provide a necessary service and if they do it well and they make people's you know time of grief more bearable and they you know, do it in a nice fashion, that's great. But on the other hand, the biggest driver of this company's profitability and what the CEO and the board must be hoping for is that we have a really bad flu season and people haven't been vaccinated and death rates increase. So, <laughs> I don't know, it's an interesting ethical dilemma, I guess. We'll have to shoot him an email and ask Yeah, him yeah, yeah. Maybe we can mm. get him back on to do it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um, 
I went to a funeral recently and it was an absolute, it was just so commercial, huge sort of funeral facility in, in Sydney and they were just pumping at funerals out, you know, tens an hour sort of thing and you could just see the, the money ticking over. So. Yeah. Interesting business. Nice yeah, one, Ren. Is. Well, to close out, I've, I've had to duck overseas and, and I wanted to check in with Disney. Oh, yeah. Because one of my favourite stocks of the year and with the release of some of their biggest, most successful movies ever in the last few months, I wanted to see what impact it had on their third quarter earnings. Unlike Australia, the US are in their period of reporting for their fiscal third quarter. So their shares sunk 5% after the company did miss expectations for both the top and bottom line of its earnings. They blame the disappointing result on the integration of Fox, so it's costing them a lot of money, as well as increased streaming costs and weak attendance at their theme parks, would you believe? So despite having an industry record-breaking year, um, reaching $8 billion at the global box office, it wasn't good enough for the analysts and so their their stock was hit 5% the day after they reported. But reading through it, Ren, I found an interesting little tidbit. So we know that they're going to be releasing Disney Plus on November 12th around around the world, which is going to challenge Netflix uh, streaming service. However, they also announced that at the same time for their US customers only at this stage, they're going to be releasing another bundle that includes Disney Plus, ESPN and Hulu, which is another TV and video subscription service, all for $12.99, which is the same cost as Netflix standard subscription plan. So really taking it up to Netflix and, and giving an offer that's not only you're, you're streaming for movies and TV, but throwing in sport as well, which is uh, obviously something that's pretty popular and uh, one of the reasons that a lot of people sign up to, to Fox and I guess KO in Australia is to get that service. So they're going to be packaging it all in one. I'm going to be interested to see what effect it has on on Netflix and on Disney's, I guess, acquisition of new customer. Yeah, interesting. It'll be mm. interesting to see what offering ESPN as a streaming service will do to the uh, the cable companies in America, like the Foxtel equivalent. You know, once sports not on that cable channel, I think a lot of people don't see a reason to continue to keep it. Well, that's yeah. Exactly the same. That's how I feel. I mean, now I've got KO and I yeah, don't really need free-to-air TV anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice one. Well, okay, so Disney, it's been one of your favourite stocks. You've been speaking about it a lot this year. It's disappoints in compared to analyst expectations. So at this point, where's your head at? Are you buying, holding or selling? Well, I mean, I'm not recommending anything. <laughs> yeah, <now>. true. We <laughs> can't give advice, so... Well, I actually do own it, so I'm holding. Okay. I still think that, that there's a lot of upside from them to come. And yeah, I very much watch, watch this space, so it's a hold from me. Okay, nice one. So, Ren, I think just to close out, for any new listeners to the show, obviously welcome, but as you mentioned when you were discussing um, some of your companies there, there's, there's a lot around um, guidance and expectation when it comes to uh, reporting season and something we always talk about is that uh, the sh- changes in share price based off the, um, the the report that's come out doesn't necessarily reflect the underlying performance of the company. So if you are in stocks that have been negatively impacted by a, a report that has missed guidance, um, don't panic. 
it's just uh, an emotional reaction from uh, from the market and things usually will play out back to the way that they should be. So I just wanted to finish finish with that. Yeah. Rate. I think given your poem at the start said uh, <laughs> earnings season – uh, don't uh, don't let it don't let you lose a long term attitude on the basis of CEOs platitudes. That's I think right. that that you know you're tying it back to that that CEOs are going to give guidance to the market to you know justify their performance or to keep the stock going well in the short term. I think you you need to take what the company's saying with a grain of salt and do your own analysis and you know then they're, they're not going to be outright lying to the market but there's always different ways to package the same information to get the response they're looking for out of the market so yeah just test your thesis when earnings come out make sure you know stay calm yeah yeah if you're I don't know. Let's think of an example that we just talked about like let's let's say you look your thesis about Disney is that the new content they're producing gives them a long tail of opportunity to realize that content through video distribution toys theme parks all that stuff pull apart their results and have a look at that kind of stuff and see if your thesis is being proven correct or not being proven correct but yeah don't don't react to the the what the you know what the analysts are saying or what the ceo is saying in the media that day you gotta you gotta do your own analysis absolutely nice ren wool always good to chat stocks exciting time of year looking forward to costa's results coming up um <laughs> see what impact that has <laughs> but until then we'll leave it there and chat next week yeah nice one equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned this is general advice only Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.